Let's pray. Lord, we just come to your word and we thank you. We thank you that it instructs us and guides us and lifts us up into your presence. It helps us to know what you have for us this week, to know and how we are to live our lives for you. So we ask your blessing upon it now as we hear it and we seek to apply it to our lives. In the name of Christ, amen. Prayer is important. Prayer is needed. Prayer is something that Jesus did often. But for many people, prayer is oftentimes secondary because of all the, the many tasks that people have to do. We need to get in our minds that God gave us prayer to connect us to him. That God invites us to make prayer primary in our lives. That we would think about praying, not just when we have difficulties, or not just when we're getting ready to eat a meal, but that we would pray often. And it would be natural for us. In fact, it would be so natural that it would be just like our breathing. This morning, we're going to see how Paul shows us how to pray as he prays for the Ephesians. This is going to help us to, to pray better and to connect with people and with God better. It's also going to help us, especially in this time of the coronavirus. We'll see how if we pray the way Paul prayed in this chapter, chapter 3, verses 16 to 21, that we will indeed be living a better life. And so, I want for you to think for a moment about times when you pray. What are those times when you pray? Oftentimes, people pray, like I said before, for a meal, before they have a meal. Maybe it's a rote prayer. Or maybe they pray a prayer that they've memorized, like the, the Lord's Prayer. Or maybe people pray in times of despair or desperation. Lord, get me through this trial. We call on God when we realize that we need a power greater than we can possess. We pray when we face, feel like we're facing a great predicament, like we are right now in this coronavirus, where we realize it's bigger than what we can deal with, bigger than what our government can deal with, bigger than what the world can deal with. In speaking to a group of pastors, Francis Chan said this to them, I fear that many of you focus so much on the work of God that you neglect the person of God. This is such a true statement. We often focus on the work of God and what we want God to do for us. Our prayers are usually asking God to do something for us. But at the core of our prayer, of our prayer life, we should be looking at the very person and nature of God. This should be our focus. You might have heard platitudes like this, if you want to be successful, you need to discover your inner power. Or, if you have faith in yourself, you will be successful in whatever you do. Our world loves to talk about the power that we possess. When we follow this line of thinking, even then when we pray, it is about us and what God can do for us. So we can be successful, so that we can have what we want. We miss the point, but the Apostle Paul brings us to the, the correct place when he says in Ephesians 3.16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Let's get it right. We do come to God in desperation, but it's not the kind of desperation where we feel like, 
God needs to get us out of trouble. It's the desperation that we understand that we are powerless. We are sinners. We are weak and fallible and lost without God. Paul prays that we may have the strength that comes to us from the Holy Spirit. As today is Pentecost Sunday, we remember that when Jesus left this earth, he gave us the promise that he would send to us the Holy Spirit, and that this Holy Spirit would come to us to guide us and instruct us and convict us and empower us to do God's purposes. So the power that Paul is praying here comes to us through the Holy Spirit. We celebrate Pentecost Sunday 50 days after Easter Sunday, and it commemorates the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and other followers of Jesus while they were in Jerusalem celebrating the Feast of Weeks. And it's described in the book of Acts, chapter 2. And on this day, we remember how the power of God came visibly upon his people. The true source of inner power is the Spirit of God. This is what we need in our lives. In Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 27, God says, And I will put my Spirit in you, and move you to follow my decrees. And be careful to keep my laws. We try to pray for specific things like, God, get me out of this bondage of sin, or, or God, help me to be more loving. But if we pray for the Spirit of God to live in us and to change us, then we will be moved to make God our master. And these problems, these situations, these struggles will be taken care of by God because God will empower us with His Spirit. And then we will see that how he works in our lives, how he takes care of these things, are even bigger than any one specific request that we might make. This is what we should be praying for in regards to one another. When we draw strength from the indwelling spirit, we find peace and confidence that exceeds our own capacity. We find compassion to love those who are other, otherwise unlovable. We find strength to serve and sacrifice in the ways that Jesus has imitated for us. We find strength to overcome the struggles we are facing and being disconnected from people. We find help in dealing with our feeling lost and emotionally spent. The Spirit of God empowers us to rise above these issues. The Spirit of God helps us to minister as a church in the world. The Holy Spirit helps us to love and speak in ways that helps others at their very core needs so that God's purposes might be advanced through us. So our first point is that through the Spirit, we're given the strength of God so that we can live that better life that God has for us. As we've been going through the book of Ephesians, we see that we have learned some mysteries of God. In fact, Paul uses this word mystery six times in the book of Ephesians meaning that six times he discloses a mystery of God to us. The first mystery was God's purpose to gather together things of heaven and earth through Christ. We saw this in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. The second was the inclusion of the Gentiles as co-heirs and members of the same body with the Jews. That was found in Ephesians 2, 11 through 3, 9. Now, even though... In this passage, Paul doesn't use the word mystery. I believe he's talking about something that is mysterious, and that is the, the idea that God lives in us through His Spirit, through Christ. 
This is something that many people don't understand, and it's a mystery to them. Paul says in Ephesians 3, 17-19, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So Paul promises us that God will fill us with Christ and he may dwell in our heart through faith. If you want to live the better life, and I think we all would like to live that better life, then we need to embrace this truth that Christ dwells in us. We need to think about embracing the promises that God makes. Promises like when we are tired, he promises to give us rest. Or when we think that we're in an impossible situation, God says, all things are possible with me. When we are feeling overwhelmed, Jesus tells us to remember that he has overcome the world. When we think we can't make a difference with our lives, he says, you are the light of the world. You shine the light of Christ to others, and you impact other people's lives because you shine that light. You do make a difference with your life. These promises come alive when Christ dwells in us. Next, he prays that we will be rooted and established in love. I want you to think about a moment, a time when you felt really loved. Maybe it was when you started to get older and you, you realized how much your parents really loved you and how their watching over you kept you safe and helped you to feel that great love. Or maybe it was that time when you were exchanging your vows with your spouse and you were saying your vows to her and, and you began to just realize that you had found someone that you loved more than anyone else you had ever met. Whatever that time was, I promise to you that it is nothing close to how God loves you. God loves you perfectly and completely. That fullness of God is what we need in our life. That perfect and complete love is what Paul wants you to be rooted in in your life. This perfect and complete love is what will ground you when when things seem to be in chaos, as it seems to be right now in many ways. This perfect and complete love will keep you focusing on God when all else around you is out of control and things don't make sense. See, if we really focus on God's love, then we won't feel insecure. We will feel worthy because we are loved. Paul says that you will be rooted and grounded in love, steadfastly fixed in your love to God. Now, the best way to attain this is to be careful that we maintain a constant love to God. And to remember, as the scripture says, we love God because he first loved us. We seek to reciprocate God's love back to him, seeking to live for him and doing what he calls us to do. Paul prays that we would grasp the greatness of God's love. How wide and long and high and deep it is. How amazing and perfect it is. How different it is than any other kind of love that we experience on this earth. As we have thought of it and received it and sought to give it back to God, we then try to grasp the immensity of it. 
I don't know if you've ever visited the Grand Canyon. I've had an opportunity to go there several times, and every time I go there, I am so amazed at how wide and deep and long and, and, and incredible it is. I mean, there's no one place that you can stand to really fully take it in. Whenever I go there, I am awed as I stand and look at this amazing sight. See, part of the problem with grasping God's love is that we too often are focused on ourselves. We, we realize it is so immense, it's hard to take it in. But even when we try to take it in, when we're focused on, our, on ourselves, it, it makes it difficult to really understand it. You know, we are lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, instead of being lovers of God. But this is not what the church is supposed to be. This is not how we as Christ followers are supposed to be. We're supposed to love God with all of our hearts and soul and mind and strength and, and love others as ourselves. This is what we're called to do. We're called to go beyond ourselves, not to focus on ourselves. Really, to understand God's love, we only have to look at Christ, who came in the fullness of God's glory, who exchanged the glory of heaven and humbled himself to become a man, who shed the nature of God to take on flesh. Why? So that he could sacrifice himself for you and me to pay the penalty of our sin that we could not pay ourselves, so that we could be free to receive the fullness of God's love. That's why John 3.16 is such an amazing and well-loved verse, because it encapsulates this amazing and wonderful thought. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I encourage you to read this verse, to say this verse every day this week, to reflect upon what it really means. To really think about how wide and long and high and deep God's love is for you, that he would die for you. And so our second point is that having Christ in your heart helps you to grasp the fullness of God's love. And this love helps you to be rooted in God so that the troubles of the world won't overwhelm you. Paul ends the chapter with these words in Ephesians 3, chapter, uh, verses 20 and 21. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. See, Paul prays for God's power to work in and through you and me, in and through our church. I remember teaching this section of the Bible one time in a Bible study, and someone said to me, you know, Pastor, I can think of some pretty big things. And I said, you know, that's good. That's right. It's a good thing. Well, in part. What I mean by this is it's good to imagine big things that we want God to do. As someone once said, if you only think about things that you can do on your own power, then you don't need God. We need to think of those things that are so big that we have to rely on the power of God. The key here is to imagine what would God want to do. 
You might, might ask, is God big enough to save my marriage? And I would say, yes, he is. But then I would ask you this question. Are you and your spouse willing to give yourself over to God fully to his power and his working in your marriage? You might ask, well, is God big enough to save my, my friend or my family member? And again, I would say, yes. But then I'd ask you this question. What are you doing to draw them to Christ? And are you patient enough to wait on God's timing? See, the key is that we need to have the understanding and belief that God is bigger and more powerful than anything we can imagine. God is the creator of this universe and everything in it. God created it with a purpose. He created us with a purpose. We need to live into this purpose. The reason why so many people are not living this better life is because they are not living into the will of God. They are not trying to fulfill the purpose of God in their life. They are not allowing God to work in them. Where we really get lost is where we make it about ourselves. And the truth is, it needs to be about God, not us. God is the creator. As I said, he created us to be in a loving and intimate relationship with him. Ephesians 3.21, hear it again. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you see where the emphasis is? On God. To him be the glory. And who is the, those that are called to give him glory? This is the church. You and me, part of the church, this body of Christ, were to give God the glory. You might remember back in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 to 14, it was revealed to us that glorifying God is our fundamental purpose in life. Let me say that again. Glorifying God is our fundamental purpose in life. We are to be for the praise of his glory. We exist so that God may be glorified through us as Christ's followers and as the church of Christ. And how will this happen? Well, it happens when we glorify God by devoting ourselves to his glory. When we commit ourselves to his ultimate purpose, which is bringing unity to all things on earth in Christ. When we receive his grace through faith and when we walk with God to do the good works that God has prepared for us to do. Thus, we glorify God not only in the context that we call worship, but also through our work, our neighborliness, our citizenship, our seeking justice, our stewardship, our finances, and our relationships. We glorify God by living for God in all that we do. And so our third point is this. When you come to God with great expectation, He will work powerfully in and through you for his glory. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right, he's stropping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts going around the house in a way that hurts abominably and does not make sense to you. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. 
He intends to come and live in you himself. What an amazing truth this is. This is why we need to pray for God's strength in our lives and in the lives of others. This is why we need to pray that we would be rooted and grounded in God's love. This is why we need to pray that we would let God do remarkable things in and through our lives so that He would be glorified. On this Pentecost Sunday, may we understand that God lives in us through His Spirit, through Christ, who is strengthening us to live for Him, for His glory, so that we can live that better life. Let us pray.